Hello, this is Kristen McDonald, and welcome to Second Vision. My guest today is Suzanne Singer, a native Texan who was born and raised in Austin. Always intrigued by human behavior, she earned a degree in psychology from the University of Texas in 1985. Suzanne's memoir, Travels with a Doggy Llama, chronicles her years spent with a wise but impetuous dog who instructed ancient Yajic troops of the East, as well as the art of stealing a great donut. <laughs> in addition, Suzanne is passionate about her work as a handle-registered practitioner, a neurodevelopmental approach to addressing issues such as autism, ADD, slash ADHD, and learning differences, and traumatic brain injuries. Suzanne's most recent endeavor, Unfettered Hearts, is a two-volume set of amazing stories that are offered to the reader from ordinary people who have experienced extraordinary and inspiring truths. And I am honored to say that I'm one of those ordinary people in the book. <laughs> I'm so delighted to have you here today, Suzanne. Thank you so much for taking the time to, to be with us. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Kristen. It's really exciting. I remember it was a year or two ago that uh, our mutual friend Deborah hooked us up, Deborah Merlin, and you started this, you know, you had the seed for this idea of the book, and now it's come to fruition. It's wonderful. Unfettered heart. It has. It has. It, it's, uh, as, as, as many things do, they take a while to, yes. uh, to germinate and then grow. And uh, both volumes, or two volumes, that have now uh, bloomed. <laughs> uh, volume one came out in uh, October, and volume uh, two, which you're featured in, uh, came out the end of last month. So it's just that very exciting. That is so exciting. How many authors are in each book? How many stories? Uh, there's about 30 authors in each book. So uh, there's actually a little over 60 total uh, stories. Oh, my in goodness. Volumes. Incredible stories. We had, uh, we actually started out thinking it would just be, you know, maybe 25, 30 stories. And as we went through the process, just these stories just started showing up. And we and there were so many that we, we had to split it into two volumes. Oh, my goodness. I, you know, I, I, I always thought that would be such a great idea because I've had so many people on my radio show, you know, that I think these stories, some of them are so heartwarming. So, so let's talk first about how how this all came about with you. How did you, you know, have the idea originate? Sure. Um, I, I initially met uh, the other three um, authors and compilers, uh, Denise Casino, Sharon Casano Lockman, and Ernie Colombo, in a, in a writing group that I was in. Uh, I was in a writing retreat, and the uh, the group uh, had a, a, probably a three- to four-month um, process where we all met on Zoom. Uh, this was back in late 2015, early 2016. That's how I originally met them, and we just all very, you know, deeply connected. It, it was those those kind of relationships sometimes when you meet somebody yes. and you just feel you've known them forever. It's serendipitous, um, and it's a lifetime connection. It is. And sort of the other funny part is none of us live close to one another. Um, two, two of the authors live on the East Coast. Uh, one lives in Colorado, and I live in Southern California. So it was all uh, via technology that we connected, actually, um, and have never all been in the same room together physically. 
So, and you still have um, never met in, in person because of the COVID probably and, and distance and... Correct. I, I have met um, Denise. She's in, in Colorado. But, uh-huh. And no, it, and that is the other kind of piece of it, the timing of it. You know, this was about in 2016, 2017, and when we started the, the, the project, probably end of 2017, this was, you know, before the pandemic, who knew? And when, when everybody or the world would kind of step up to Zoom or any sort of platform like that yes. to kind of keep life going. Yes, yes. So, you know, there was a little bit of, we were a little bit ahead of the curve just in that process of what it's like to work on a team long distance, um, you know, utilizing uh, yes, kind of technology. Yes, but now the whole world is doing it. They're saving money on overhead, and people are working from home and moving out of the big cities, so it's it's amazing. Exactly. It is yeah. amazing. Um, yeah. So uh, kind of back to how we met, um, when our when our writing uh, group kind of finished up, we, we both kind of looked at, you know, one another and said, well, wait a minute, I, I still want to stay connected, and, um, you know, is there something we can do together? Uh, we wanted to collaborate on something. And um, so we, you know, we, we talked about we want to, you know, do something inspiring. To, uh, uh, you know, there was so, there's so much negativity uh, in, the, in the news, in the media, and we wanted to, to sort of um, offer something that was sort of a, a counter to that. So uh, we decided initially that the project would be an anthology of stories. Um, we sort of kicked around a lot of different ideas. Do we, do we want it to be just about women? Um, what about children? What about this cause, that cause? And and in the process, we just sort of uh, it, it just the stories just started to come in, and they actually they're they're about men and women and and children, and they're about um, challenges and 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 artists and uh, just a wide a wide breadth of stories and um, topics that sort of showed up. It, it, it was a very um, interesting process to sort of... Nothing better than being inspired by other people. So, you know, I, I yeah. went to bed because you were so wonderful reading one of the stories to me about Alma Carroll, the actress in the 30s and 40s. And why don't you share a little bit about her story? I, I loved it. and I loved your interview with her and the way you wrote it. Well, one of the things that that sort of happened in this process of collecting stories was the four of us started to just, we just had our antennas out, you know, if you, you know, looking for an inspiring story. And the, one of the ones I connected to was my across the street neighbor um, who was named Alma Carroll uh, back in the day. I knew her as Alma Giroux. She was just my across the street neighbor uh, who was retired. And I had known her in the last 20 years of her life. And it wasn't until sort of um, the last 10 years that I learned that she had been this actress in Hollywood in the 40s and 50s, uh, which is my favorite era of Hollywood. And I was just completely entranced by, you know, the stories that she could tell of what it was like. Uh, she has quite a, quite a life story. Um, she was born a single mother uh, working in in, Bell, in uh, Bellflower, California, Alma was in some of the silent pictures as a child uh, because they needed to earn money. Um, then she ended up into the in the picture business, as she called it, uh, at the age of 18. And it was right when World War II was uh, starting, and she was um, uh, honored to be on a, a. I had never heard of it. It was called a Victory Caravan um, Hollywood 
got together and put all of the, their big stars on a train and sent it across the country to raise money for the war effort. So she had some, had some amazing stories about that time um, in history. Traveling with Bob Hope. and Yes. Um, yeah. And then she had the stories of working in that industry, uh, you know, as a, as a woman uh, whose uh, uh, worth was based on her beauty. And she was gorgeous. Um, I understand she modeled for Vogue and McCall and the stunning, just stunning. Yeah, and top, I even, top model. I even said, yes. And she would pull out, you know, because I, I kept pushing her home. Oh, I want to see, you know, she didn't have any of this in her home. We had to go to the garage and, and pull these boxes out, and I got to see these beautiful, you know, glossy eight by tens. And you know, I thought it was just the beauty was almond. She was, oh no, I was just the hanger. For these, you know, couture design, she was very self-effacing, um, and she just had. As we sort of, I learned about that phase of her life. I got to to see the entirety of her life. There is something very powerful about spending time with someone who is at the end of their life, and who gets to see their life from this, you know, perspective um, of how it all seemed to fit together. And she uh, she had been she was married. Her first marriage was I think probably thirty years. It ended uh, very sadly. One of her children passed away. Um, the other uh, there was some sort of falling out. Uh, she but she ended up meeting her second husband in her early sixty two. Yes, and she said she would often say to me, Suzanne, how would I know that the best part of my life would come in my 60s and 70s? Yeah, isn't that beautiful? It really is. And as I near that landmark birthday, you know, I really hold on to those words. Yes, um, yes, yes. And it was very, it was very, um, you know, she was, she was like a mom to me. Our, our age uh, difference was such that uh, she could have been the same way I am with Terry Moore, as I told you. Uh, yes, and she yes. has told me the same. She's written. She wrote like three books in her seventies, and I mean, so many amazing things happened to her. So she said, "You know, you have a lot to look forward to." Yes, it's inspiring. And I feel like I'm very much so. I mean, not m- many of my friends are at this age. You know, this stage of our life. Uh, right. Going. Hmm. You know, what's next? <laughs> right. And what's what's in this chapter? Yes, and and you know, and a culture that doesn't per se particularly with women, um, aging is, it can be difficult. Um, oh, yes, yes. I, there's just so much, I think. You, uh, in my opinion, you're really, as a woman, especially stepping into who you're meant to be. Um, Definitely. It's when you, you can just say no to anything if you don't want to do it. <laughs> exactly. I think once you hit 50, you just say, no, thanks, I'm not into that today. But, uh, exactly. you know, I wanted to go back a little in the story. Wasn't she sexually harassed? Yes, uh, she was under contract uh, when she was 18 and uh, with Columbia Pictures, and she was called in at the end of that contract to discuss her contract renewal. And a studio executive actually, you know, said, I have the power, um, I have control over your career. And there, she was sitting across the desk from him, and she looked over to the right of the desk, and there's the couch. And she said, I knew what that couch meant. Of and course. And he, he started, he, you know, he was talking to her about her career, and she said he stood up and started to inch his way around the desk. And, you know, here's this 18-year-old, 
young 18 woman. years old and beautiful and wanting to make and it beautiful. in Hollywood. And so many women, you know, they get off the bus with one ticket and they just give into it, you know. Yes. They yes. don't know any better and they're afraid. And, well, I mean, we could go on and on, right, with the Me Too movement. Right. And I worked in that industry and, for, you know, 26 years myself, so I know all about it. <laughs> exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, and as Alma described, here he comes around the desk, and she starts moving away, and he's gaining on her. And she said, I, I just looked around, saw a, um, a, it was a paperweight. She grabbed it off the desk, and she clonked him on the head. I know. I couldn't believe it in the story. Good for her. And then you said, needless to say, her contract was not renewed. <laughs> <laughs> and and one of the things that in telling that story, one of the lines that really struck out, uh, struck me was she said, I vowed then that a studio would never own me. And it was such an empowering, particularly from such a young woman, yes. um, to make this statement, I'm in charge of my fate. And she uh, often worked without an agent. She had independent uh, independent contracts with the different um, studios, but she never, you know, was under that sort of contract. Um, well, and she's was, so lucky her whole career wasn't ruined, you know, with like the, the Weinstein efforts or someone, you know, the intimidation factor. You know, there's so many powerful, powerful people in Hollywood. And yes. uh, now, of course, many of them have been busted. But she's so fortunate that she was able to still go forward, you know, because they can, like the mob, they can just ruin you. Exactly. Yes. So it, that she was, uh, she is one of the stories um, in in the book that that I tell from my perspective, knowing her and and, yeah. and the things that I noticed about, you know, her life and her strength and resiliency. That was. Um, one of the things she really um, showed me in her life, particularly I got to watch her navigate the end of life. And, you know, that can be um, very difficult. And it was lonely in her instance. Um, mm-hmm. And she, uh, in, in the story I talked about during World War II, um, she worked in the Hollywood canteen uh, in Los Angeles. That was part of her a contract with the studio, and she would go and just dance and talk to um, soldiers that were on their way sh- being shipped overseas. And she talked about how hard that was. No, you know, a lot of these young men knew they were not coming back. Um, and I saw her do that same really gift of being able to sit with somebody and listen to somebody who's scared when she went to live in her assisted living facility. Um, you know, there were many, many lonely people there. And I would watch her go and sit with them, and she was very animated and, and very theatrical uh, because of her background. Um, and she, too, was, you know, scared and alone. But Of course, of course. Kept reaching out to others, um, and that was very inspiring to me, to watch yes. her navigate part of That's her life. That's beautiful. That's who she was as a person, obviously. And look, and it came back to her. You know, you were there by her side, and there's nothing. All you need is one friend, you know. Sure, to make yeah, you feel loved yeah. in the universe, one yeah. person. So one tell us person. about some of the other things, the other stories that inspired you. There, are so so many. Each one is is inspiring in its own way. Um, we have uh, several stories about grief and loss and how um, people navigate that, whether it's the loss of a loved one mm-hmm. or the loss of health 
um, a loss of a career. Um, there are um, lots of people um, share their stories of chronic health challenges. You know, that's mm-hmm. something that can be overwhelming. Um, right. But often, but often can have gifts in it um, about, you know, learning resiliency. I, I know that that part of what you teach are those those three A's: acceptance, appreciation, and action. Yes. As oh, thank you for to, remembering. Or, um, there are um, stories about you know people sharing their gifts with the world. We have some some artists uh, in the book that have sort of found their passion and they want to share beauty uh, with others. We have some people that have, devote their lives to causes. Um, there's one woman who. Um, has an amazing story just of her life in general, but part of her life included uh, discovering that her son had schizophrenia when he turned 18. Often that's when that presents. Mm, So difficult. Yes. And and she so eloquently talks about the struggles of, you know, mental health issues um, Mm -hmm. and and especially when it's an adult child legally, you know, you don't really have any power to help help them. No, and she she turned this situation into really a, a way to help others. So what had happened with her son, and does happen often uh, with you know severe mental health issues, he was living on the streets, and oh, so she, sad. at times did not know where he was. Um, was mm, he my goodness, um, that happened to a friend of mine's mother. She just became homeless. You know, it was drinking, and she just and and then years later they went to retrieve her, and she didn't want to get off the streets. She didn't know any yeah. better, you know. Right. I think that was a worse right. heartbreak for my friend to meet her and try to help her because she had actually hooked up with a husband who was, you know, they were both doing well and they could have helped her. No, they couldn't get her off the streets. Yes, yes. And I think that that's not an uncommon story um, no. with no. these sort of situations. And what Wanti did was she saw this, you know, this, this was happening to many people, and she obviously lay in bed at night worrying about her son. Did he have water? Did he have food? Oh, um, my and so God, she, I can't even imagine. Right around the corner on Burton Way from where I live in Beverly Hills now, they have tents. I've been in this neighborhood for 30 years and never, ever had that kind of feeling, and they're sleeping right outside. I wondered in the rain the other night, what, where are they doing? What are they doing? Yes, yes, yes. So, Wanti... Uh, started going to companies and saying, will you donate money to my new nonprofit that puts together little care packages for the homeless that include, you know, a bottle of water, some food, a toothbrush, toothpaste, um, just these this little sort of things that, you know, you don't even really think about that she can then, they have deliver them to the homeless. And it's her way of, um, you know, she, what she was experiencing and then turned that pain into how can I help others. So that is so uh, that's, beautiful. That's a great idea. You know all the basics. The, all the basics. Yes. Yeah. Um, there's a there's a retired geologist uh, in the book that uh, was very passionate about the ocean. It's a little bit of ironic, right? He worked uh, with the land, yes. but his passion for uh, the coral reefs and and uh, how they are endangered. And so he now he's retired as a geologist and devotes his time. He's created a nonprofit to saving the coral reefs. And he travels the world uh, doing Beautiful. that. Beautiful. Uh, 
so again, stories of you know uh, devoting their lives to a cause. Um, there's also stories of uh, more. I call them sort of spirituality stories um, about your our connection to the divine and and how often we're led by this voice, this inner voice, to um, you know connect with others. Um, there's a there's a story in the book uh, by a gentleman named Don Foley that's one of my favorites, and um, he I think he starts the story with I never believed in miracles, um, but I do now, and and it's 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 a long story, but one of the parts that I that I that really um, resonated was he was retired, he lived up in upstate New York on some land. And he had had these two kind of large logs of wood that he got about 30 years ago. No, someday I'll do something with them. And he put them in the barn and sort of forgot about them. And and uh, one day he was pitching some hay in the barn, and it, the, the pitchfork hit the hit the stem. What is this? And he found these logs that he had, um, you know, found 30 years ago was intended to do something with. And wasn't he kept moving them around the barn? And and he heard this this directive and it and he said I, I think it was from God and it said make a cross with those logs and you know he was like, did I really hear the way you make a cross with this so he, he felt very strongly though that okay that's what I'll do and, and he carved this very large cross and sort of sat with it and, and thought oh, I don't know what I'm supposed to do with this now and he felt heard felt, I suppose, this directive, I want you to take it to the top of this hill on his land. And it was quite quite far away. And it was like, okay. So he literally carried the cross, this heavy cross, across this expansive distance and, and put it on this hill, just really not understanding, I don't know why I'm doing this, but I'm being led. And he said, three or four days later, his neighbor comes to visit him and says, I need to tell you, a couple days ago, I was on my way home. I had, I had gotten terrible, uh, terrible medical diagnosis. I had pancreatic cancer, and it was terminal, and they were, you know, saying I needed these treatments, and, but I, it was still terminal. And he said, I was driving home, and I didn't, I didn't want to do any of the treatments, and I, I was going to commit suicide when I got home. That was um, what I was going to do. And he said, I turned the corner, and I saw this cross that you had put on your land. Oh, I'm going to cry. I knew I, <clears throat> that was, I was not to do that. Oh, my God, saved a life. Isn't that beautiful? And the beauty of, I think often we do find ourselves being led to do something and not really quite sure why. Yes. And sometimes we do find out, ah, that's why I was led to do that. In retrospect, like, yes. Yes. And sometimes I think that, you know, maybe we won't ever know why we were led to do something or what its effect was. Um, but that, to me, is a really beautiful illustration of that. Beautiful. Um, you know, yeah. I can only imagine, so, you know, like what what a devastating diagnosis and the and the feeling the feelings that were going through that person's you know mind and to be saved like that by you know that's why they say turn to faith turn to the higher exactly. power you know 
and that that sort of synchronicity of timing, right? Um, yes. That you're at this, at this at this spot at this moment. Yes. Um, in that instant, that you know that wood sat in the barn for thirty years. And, yes. And then you know, just a few days after it's placed in its place on the hill, that happens. That's so beautiful. So so tell me what what things did did you learn from doing this book, the four of you together? In addition to getting inspired by all these amazing stories, um, yes, uh, that was you know obviously a big piece of it. Um, one of the things that I really learned, and I'm going to uh, relate this back to something Alma Carroll told me as well when I was helping her as she moved to an assisted living, and I'm helping her pack up her things, and and because of of her. Um, career in Hollywood, she knew a lot of famous people, very creative people, and um, I was always a little starstruck um, by that. And, and this one day, we're packing books uh, from her shelf to take to the assisted living, and she held some book. It was by a famous author about a famous person. I don't remember the names. And she turned to me and said, you know, everybody's life is a great story. And everybody's life. That's true. And I sort of, those, her words rang in my ears as these stories came in and I read them. And, you know, just looking around, it was um, interesting. I think all four of us experienced that, that, that we would, once we started looking, the people around us had these amazing stories to tell. Um, next door neighbors, uh, you know, family members, coworkers, um, they were very plentiful. Um, I think I learned in this process as well to trust the process. Mm-hmm. You know, there were challenges along the way. Um, it's been my experience that you know often what we sort of set out to do, you have a vision of what you want, and, and nine times out of ten, it, it ends up being something different, um, and it, it it turns into what it's supposed to. Um, right. So you uh, you have expectations, and then you, and then you face challenges, and you adjust. Um, and to just trust the process. Um, you know, there were moments of uh, kind of stops and starts, and, and during our process of collecting these stories, we each faced uh, our own significant challenges during it. Um, and I have to say, you know, uh, the stories helped me through through a lot of that. So, And collectively, we, we were facing this very scary uh, pandemic, um, having to sort of readjust our whole way of living. Um, again, you know, that being able to be resilient um, as we go through go through life was, um, was certainly not a new lesson, but very much, uh, you know, sunk in at a deeper level through this process. No, it was certainly a year to learn how to go with the flow. <laughs> if you don't know how to yeah. think outside the box or... You know, exactly. learn how to be calm when the world is falling apart, you know. Right. Um, so, so tell people who are listening, uh, is it on Kindle or audio or just Amazon? And how do they find it's it? On, it's on Amazon. Uh, just uh, search on Unfettered Hearts. Both volumes should come up. Um, we don't have an audio book yet, but um, I would love to have one. Uh, so hopefully that's in, in the future. Um, Great. 
And also, yes. do you have it on Kindle for those who are visually impaired? or Not Kindle yet. Uh, hopefully that's in, in the future as well. Right now it's In the it's future just to do an e-book or Kindle. Right. So just to switch subjects for a minute, let's touch a little bit on your, you're a handle practitioner. That's so interesting. Tell, tell the audience what, what that's all about. So handle uh, is an approach to treating uh, what's uh, known as neurodevelopmental issues. Um, and in that category is autism, uh, learning challenges, uh, dyslexia, dysgraphia, ADD, ADHD. Um, How do you cure it? I've always had it. <laughs> Everyone I know has it. <laughs> it's better now. I think losing my eyesight really taught me how to focus. That's what I yes, tell people. Yes. And, and here's one of the things, too, that you know, I, I often say, we're not here to cure anything. We're here to make your life um, have more ease. So there's mm-hmm. many benefits to having ADD, right? You get a lot done. Um, That's true. If, if you can sit still and focus on one, pro- one project. Exactly. So what we're doing in HANDLE is we're working with the nervous system. Um, and HANDLE is an acronym for Holistic Approach to Neurodevelopment and Learning Efficiency, which is a handful. That's a mouthful. Um, I like to say that my favorite letter in that is E, which is efficiency, which correlates to ease. So in HANDLE, we're, we're looking at how the nervous system is interacting with its environment taking in the information from its environment, processing it, and then, then we can kind of, you know, move through the world doing what we want to do. Um, and it's, it's looking at um, these systems. Basically, they're the sensory systems that we, we know, the five senses, taste, touch, smell, uh, hearing, and uh, vision. Mm-hmm. And then in addition to some other uh, systems, one is our vestibular system, how we process gravity, which is very impactful in, in attentional uh, issues. Um, often movement, uh, moving around, fidgeting, is a way for the brain to, to keep focused and recognizing really? that. Yes. So even Instead as, of uh, sitting yes. still, where the, the people who yes. teach you how to meditate say that the answers come when you're quiet. Right. Yes. So uh, often in like in our school system, you know, the children will be told, sit still and listen. Mm-hmm. And for some people, their nervous systems, that doesn't work. Sitting still actually reduces their ability to focus. So movement enhances their ability to focus. So there can be, you know, as we as in handle, as we're working on these systems and and strengthening them and their connections to the other systems, we can come in with other ways to sort of um, support them. So, for instance, just recognizing that need for movement um, can, can help your day. I, I had worked with one client who um, had some attentional issues. He had, had graduated college. He was very concerned about job interviews. He said, I can only kind of sit there for so long. And, and you know, and listen, and, and kind of stay on target. And we and we came in with some kind of simple um, things where he could have a fidget toy that he could hold that um, where it was not seen by the interviewer, but it was enough movement and and stimulation to allow him to stay focused on the interview. Well, that makes sense to me. I guess because when you think about someone moving around, I think of myself multitasking, and I've always been taught multitasking is the worst, and I can't focus. I don't get 
one thing done well, Mm -hmm. you know. And in some instances that can be true, but Mm -hmm. in in other instances it's not. And and one of the things in Handle that we we often talk about is everybody's unique. No no one's wired exactly the same way. Right, right. So you know, we, there's there's a, a term now that I think is is fairly uh, known now called neurodiversity. Mm-hmm. Um, that we we all have different needs, um, and particularly in like with our nervous systems, how we process information, um, what we sort of seek to um, to keep us focused. Um, it can be you know very unique to each individual. So in Handle, mm-hmm. I work with clients one on one. It's uh, it's a home based program. Um, once we identify these uh, areas, maybe the different systems that are challenged or the connections, all these systems are connected. Uh, when one is experiencing stress, it can often show up in other systems. So often where the symptom is is not necessarily the root cause. Um, we sort of work through, um, through activities that, that someone does at home uh, that help stimulate the brain and specific neural pathways in very specific ways. And, and, you know, essentially it's to just uh, allow the person to be, um, uh, move with more ease in life. Um, so it's, often it's when somewhat behavior modification, right? No drugs, just to definite. No, dru- no drugs. Right, I love it. Uh, I love it. Yes. Uh, and recognizing that we're working on input to specific neural pathways, but also recognizing that nutrition is a big piece of our function. Oh, nutrition is huge. No sugar and, uh, you know, or very low sugar. That's that's a huge one, you know. Alcohol, yeah. sugar, all of that just makes you your mind buzz, even if you Absolutely. don't have ADHD. Exactly. <laughs> um, and, as you know, other aspects of our functioning, too. We live in a very toxic world. I mean, we're exposed to a lot of toxins um, yes. in our everyday life. And really, uh, another big piece of what I assist clients with is just in, in, in you know, understanding the, the need to make sure your body is detoxifying well. Um, some of us, I'm one of them, have um, uh, some issues with my body does not detoxify well. So I have to come in with ex- extra support um, and to, you know, make sure that, that my body is clearing toxins that we are exposed to every day. Um, it's becoming more of an issue, uh, you know, in our, in our world of how many toxins we're exposed to, those can really affect uh, your nervous system and how you're functioning. Oh, definitely, definitely. And I'm sure there are certain things in our environment that, even, that cause the, the ADHD. Who knows? Yes. In, in some instances, it can, it can uh, in my son's instance, he actually is highly um, uh, sensitive to some uh, they're called phenolic compounds in foods, and they're in things that are healthy, berries, um, uh, you know, certain fruits that are considered healthy. But his body is very sensitive to them, doesn't clear it out well, and it can make him hyper. So, so that's what happened to me with gluten. I had the undetected allergy to gluten for years and years, and now I've got yeah. it all straightened out. Ten years ago, but oh boy, does that make you crazy, physically, it does. emotionally? It does. Yeah. You can't concentrate. And what seems, yes, and what seems it's a fairly simple change in that you just eliminate it, and it's 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 amazing the shift yeah. you can feel yeah. when your body's not experiencing that level of um, uh, it's really stress to to the body. Yes, it yes, it can almost make you feel like you're having a heart attack. 
If the food yeah. is, you know, if it's not digesting well, you know, you get tachycardia. Anyway, listen, right. we're winding down on time, and um, I digressed a bit here, but I thought your background was so interesting. I wanted to share that with people. So back to Unfettered Hearts, uh, Volume 1 and Volume 2 on Amazon. My guest today is Suzanne Singer. So, Suzanne, is there anything else you'd like to leave us with, a nugget from the book or words of wisdom? Um, oh, that's a good question. Um, I think what I talked about before is just what I learned in this process is just trust the process of, what, of where we all are, that um, it's, it's, it all works out. <laughs> Well, and and these um, wonderful stories that you're sharing with everyone, that's such a beautiful message to send out there. I, I agree with you, and I, 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 I definitely am on the same page. There's so much negativity in the news. I've tried to just cut it down to a bare minimum, you know, so I know what's going on in case a comet hits the earth or something in a month. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to focus on all the positive. So everyone listening yeah. today... I said that because I read something on Apple News yesterday about Leonardo DiCaprio's new show coming out next week. You know, it's a comedy. Uh, don't look up on Netflix about a comet, you know, about to hit the earth. Oh. So that's where that came from. Anyway, for those of you listening, I am Kristen McDonald with Second Vision. I hope you have a blessed day and a blessed holiday. We'll be taking a little break for Christmas. And Suzanne, I can't thank you enough and the best of luck with the book. And thank, thank you, you so, so much, much for inviting me to be in the book. It's an honor to have you, and thank you for having me today. It was a pleasure. Thank you, and hope to meet you in San Diego when I'm in that area. Absolutely. Yes. Okay, take care. Thanks. Have a blessed day, everyone. I'm Kristen McDonald for Second Vision.